Hello, Meg Podcast listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Meg Podcast. Again, we've had a, a bit of a delay between the last one and this one, but as ever, it's real life gets in the way. And, and apparently Matt was saving his employer's IT system or something from something. It's all very technical. Apparently involved a hammer. So. <laughs> Plausible deniability. That's what I'm going for. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, usual team here tonight, as well as myself, we've got Matt and Richard Jeffrey Cook. Hello, guys. Hello. Good evening. So the, the subject of tonight's podcast, I'm going to keep saying tonight because that's when we're recording it, um, will be the, the career, the military history of Janos Hunyadi and therefore Hungary uh, around that time you know, in the 15th century, if I've got my centuries right. Um, for once, Richard is getting a night off. He's, he's, he's not going to be leading us with the history. Um, and we're going to hand over to Matt, who I think, I think, as many of you know, has a real interest in Eastern Europe um, and can probably talk and talk and talk about it. But he's, he's promised to keep it reasonably manageable tonight. <laughs> um, so, as we always say, without further ado, actually... A little further ado, because after that we will look at some. After Matt's done his bit, we will look at some armies from the period that relate to the history Matt's going to go to go through, um, as normal. So, and now without further ado, over to Matt to lay his pearls of wisdom before us. Thank you, Nick. Well, uh, let, let, let's see how I do. Uh, right, um, where to start? Well, I could start at the beginning, but we'd be here for quite a while. So, um, let's wait. 15th century saw Central and Eastern Europe turned into basically a cockpit of, cock, cockpit of wars. Yeah, I knew I was going to fall over on that one. Shifting alliances, religious and political turmoil from the Hussite revolutions of Bohemia, Hungarian civil wars, Polish expansionism, the Italian wars, Turkish land grabs in northern Greece, Serbia and Moldavia. Um, yeah, it, it was a mess. And as always with these kind of things, talented people rise to the top. So um, since 1385, start with Hungary, 1385, it had been ruled by King Sigismund uh, of the crusade of Nicopolis fame, Holy Roman Emperor, protagonist of the Hussites, all-round all Germanic good guy. Um, as the story goes, one of his Hungarian court knights was a Transylvanian nobleman called Vojak, and he was rewarded with for loyal service with... Um, the estates of Castle Hunyad in the Transylvanian area. Uh, and there in 1409, his son Janos Hunyadi was born. Um, the, the young Hunyadi would later have a, a younger brother. Well, he couldn't have had an older brother. Anyway, he had a younger brother uh, who was also known as Janos Hunyadi. So there's the elder and the younger, um, just for confusion's sake, basically. So in the Chronicles, they both turn up and often they weren't distinguished, which makes for some interesting reading. But anyway, so from about 1427 to 1437, it's quite well recorded that Janos managed a world-class practical military education. Well, here are the basic highlights. He served at the court of the despot of Serbia, where he met and married his wife, Elizabeth. Uh, he spent two years serving in the Duke of Milan's army in Italy. He was then in the entourage of Sigismund as a court knight. He then did border duties in southern Hungary on the estates gifted to him for Sigismund for his services in the court. He then spent two years serving Sigismund in his conflict with the Hussites. 
So in the space of 10 years, Janos had seen the mercenary companies of Italy, the peasant armies of the Hussites with their war wagons, artillery, and defensive anti-cavalry tactics, and then on to the fast-moving cavalry skirmishes and raids of the southern Hungarian borders. 1437, key date, it's the death of Sigismund. At this point, Janos and his brother so impressed Sigi's successor, Albert, with their aggressive counter-raids against the Ottomans that they were elevated to true barons of the realm and given further estates. So at the ripe old age of 28, sorry, uh, Janos was actually a fairly high-ranking nobleman from a fairly insignificant family. Now, what's slightly ironic about this is, in doing so, Albert improved the power base of a family that, within the year, would be supporting a rival to Albert's titles after he succumbed to illness and died in 1439. As part of an alliance of nobles, the Hunyadi family refused to recognize Albert's newly born son, Ladislau, and instead offered the crown to Ladislau, king of Poland. So, you know, they were keeping it with the Ladislaus. Both Ladislaus were crowned king of Hungary within one month of each other, and a civil war began in earnest. Now, Albert's widow, Elizabeth, with her baby son, Ladislau, retreated towards Austria in the northern Hungarian counties and estates. And at the same time, she made quite a fateful decision. She decided to hand over control of some of the wealthy mining areas in Slovakia to the control of a Czech mercenary called Jan Jiska. Now, Jiska would eventually relinquish control of these areas and integrate his Hussite forces into the Black Army of King Matthias Hunyadi a mere 22 years after taking control of the Slovakian area. He would even become a commander in the Black Army and a Hungarian nobleman his family still being recorded up until the 17th century. So as you can see, it was a, an inadvertently long-term decision that Elizabeth made. So fairly quickly, the sides panned out. You had the Hunyadis and most of the Hungarian estate nobles on one side, most of the Germanized northern uh, factions on Elizabeth and um, Ladislaw, Albert's young son, on, on the other. Uh, but by 1441, only Zisco was still successfully operating on behalf of the Elizabethan party, for want of a better word. Uh, what, what had happened was Janos Hunyadi and uh, a fellow nobleman that he knew called Nic Nicholas of Locke had managed in that year to crush the rival nobles in the south of Hungary that were still supporting Elizabeth, basically removed any chance that the northern Hungarian forces could make any leeway coming south. Um, this basically cleared the way for the Polish king, Ladislaw, to secure his grip on the Hungarian throne. Uh, Hunyadi was given what was what was genuinely at the time assumed to be a really difficult task. He was given the task of subduing Transylvania, which was very split in its loyalties, and given the nature of the countryside, was quite difficult to easily control. Um, Janos, however, um, gathered together... Um, a mix of mercenaries and what would later become his his, uh, his primary um, combat banner of um, personal bodyguards, and basically took the simple expedient of expelling any nobleman of suspect loyalty, whether they were genuinely or not. He just kicked them out and awarded their estates to his own followers or allies. So within the year, Transylvania was pretty much totally loyal to the Hunyadi family, and would remain so until the next century. Um, he even managed to find time in 1441 to bloody the nose of Ishak Bey, the Ottoman commander of Smerievo, in a pitched open battle. Um, and this is the first time he's recorded as having fought in a significant battle against Ottoman forces. 
However, the Ottomans did return the favour on Hunyadi the following year with a surprise invasion of Transylvania. They initially defeated Hunyadi, whose troops, though, were able to um, manage quite a skillful retreat, taking relatively minor casualties in the process. And this allowed them to turn the tables when reinforcements arrived under Nicholas of Locke. Um, there was a period of consolidation. The, I, I won't go into long detail. Sorry, a bit of a pun there. Um, from 1441 to about 1443, Hunyadi and the, the Polish, I'm calling him the Polish king because it makes it easy to differentiate, um, led a series of raids that would become known as the Long Campaign, and they actually fought over the winter of 41 to, uh, 42 to 43 uh, against the Ottomans. Now, their success rate, to be honest, was about 50-50. Um, they lost a lot of horses, had to abandon their wagons, but they achieved more victories against the Ottomans than anybody had in a very long time. Uh, one of the other significant things that came out of this long campaign was one of the Ottoman commanders, uh, Skanderbeg, deserted the Ottoman army and led his, Albanian, his native Albanians in revolt, um, setting up quite a substantial um, independent area. Um, the other thing that came out of this was the Hungarian campaigns actually generated quite a lot of popular enthusiasm across what we would call Western Europe and, and, and Italy. Um, and this led the Pope to push for a crusade. Great in principle, and it was launched in 1444. Unfortunately, it died near Varna on the Black Sea coast. Here, Hunyadi, despite engineering the complete isolation of the Ottoman Sultan and his centre, he managed to strip away both Ottoman cavalry wings, left them in complete disarray, was remustering his forces, and all he got to do was watch as the king led a premature attack right into the Janissary forces guarding the Sultan. The king's head on a halberd saw the Christian army disintegrate, and Hunyadi spent a very uncomfortable few weeks as a guest of Vlad Dracul, uh, father of the slightly more famous Wallachian Vlad Tepesh, or Dracula if you prefer. He was, however, eventually released by Dracul unharmed. Now, if Hungarian politics were not complicated enough, the Hungarian nobles, on the death of the Polish king, elected Hunyadi to be regent Albert's son, Ladislaw, as the only re remaining legitimate heir, now recognised as Ladislaw V. However, Ladislaw remained firmly in the custody of his garden, Frederick, guardian, sorry, of Frederick III of Austria. The, the Czech Zyskra still controlled most of Slovakia and other parts of Hungary, um, much of northern Hungary that wasn't controlled by Zisco remained in the hands of a prominent anti-Hunyadi Silly family under Count Ulrich. Now, basically, three years of raids and counter-raids saw no change in this status quo in Hungarian politics. Hunyadi did, however, find time to dispose Vlad Dracul from his throne, basically, I think, in revenge for the very uncomfortable couple of weeks he had after fleeing Varna. He also found time to assist Peter, a pretender to the Moldavian throne, to secure it in return for land and fortifications. Hunyadi also forged an alliance with Skanderbeg for joint operations against the Ottomans. So in 1448, uh, invading with Wallachian allies, Hunyadi was surprised by an Ottoman army before he could link up with Skanderbeg, and was then subsequently defeated in a three-day battle at Kosovo Pol. Again, forced to flee the battlefield, once again, he was captured on the way back to um, Hungary, this time by Brankovic, the Serbian despot. Um, this time he was released after a ransom was paid, or at least negotiated, and uh, he returned to um, Hungary. So, 
back in um, Hungary, rebuilding his army. So from 1448, Hunyadi alternated between domestic troubles to dealing with external threats and failing to finish off any of them. He was always distracted by the next coming crisis, never had quite enough time to finish the previous crisis. Um, there still remained independent uh, forces on the northern Hungarian borders, the Ottomans were continually raiding to the south. Uh, again, this went on for quite a few number of years. Um, the fall of Constantinople in 1453 saw renewed Ottoman pressure into Serbia, even though technically Hungary and Ottomans had an alliance that Serbia would remain as a buffer state. Hunyadi and the Hungarian state really had no choice but to intervene in these fights um, to, to attempt to reverse the land loss and to secure the fortresses that protected a lot of the, um, the crossings and the valley passes. Um, uh, in what was to be the final act in his life, Hunyadi led a relief force against the Sultan's siege of Belgrade in 1456, successfully defeating the besiegers and forcing their retreat but in turn dying from plague that swept through the army camps. On Iannis's death, the Hunyadi family was briefly led by their eldest son, another Ladislau, who had his father's ambition, but not his political talent. He managed to engineer the murder of Ulrich Silly, who was by then the king's guardian and senior advisor. Ladislau then promptly walked into the royal court without an escort and was arrested and executed. And his younger brother, Matthias, was imprisoned. The rest of that tale probably needs a sequel. So, what did Hunyadi achieve during his lifetime? Um, well, he fought, the main protagonists are the Hussites under Giscre, medieval German forces of Albert and Frederick, Hungarians, Wallachians, Serbians, Ottomans. Uh, he allied with the Albanians, the Moldavians, uh, Polish. His fundamental contributions to the Hungarian 15th century history is he set it up so his son Matthias could become king. Now this is the first instance of a non-blood relation of the king taking the throne and with it he gifted him an exceptionally well-trained mercenary army which became known as the Black Army and, and as I alluded to earlier it actually incorporated a lot of enemies of the Hunyadi family at one point. Um, and I think that's probably where I'm going to stop, because I think, uh, as I say, I could talk forever on this <laughs> subject. Uh, one thing I didn't mention earlier, um, he actually, it's alleged that in his early days, he was a page to one of the senior Italian condotteries. But um, that's never quite been proved. But there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that it was... Uh, it, it was true. And the other thing that's of interest is uh, Matthias, well, it's of interest to me, uh, Matthias Fognardi uh, uh, actually wrote a letter around 1480-something, I think it was, in which he said that um, the, the, the sister of his father had been taken into the harem of the sultan, who then produced a son, also became sultan so he was first cousins to the conqueror of constantinople again definitely been proved but it's an interesting tale on the end i think yeah. was, was that actually he, something to boast about if he was technically if he was in christian sphere a very good yeah very interesting point i mean 
what what's really interesting about this is it's very much like Richard's El Cid. That you have you have Eastern Orthodox, you have Catholic, you have Islam. None of the religion, well, besides the, the rather obvious papal crusades, it was almost always politics. Um, for example, Matthias was known as the um, defender of Christendom, as was his father. But if you look at Matthias's war record, he almost never fought the Ottomans. And there were significant raids into um, the Holy Roman Emperor territory that had to go through Hungary to get to the raiding points. And they weren't interfered with. So you can kind of think that mm, as a defender of Christendom, I think it was probably fair to say that he wasn't living up to his job description. <laughs> um, and he actually got accused by the Holy Roman Emperor of um, collusion with the Ottomans. But there you go. There we go. Well, a whistle stop store, whistle stop tour. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but, the, the main conclusion you come to is that living in Hungary at that time was quite a dangerous <laughs> place to live. <laughs> um, being surrounded by Germany, Poland, uh, Serbia, Moldavia, yeah, lot, and with the Ottomans nearby. Um, yeah, a lot of um, lot of um, turbulent states at the time. Absolutely. But but what's also interesting is that a lot of the nobles in the other countries also held significant estates in Hungary. Uh, the despot of Serbia had massive estates that Hunyadi um, confiscated after he got back from his little um, accident at Kosovo Pol. Um, <laughs> uh, so, you know, it... Um... Well, that, that's, I mean, that's, Hungary is far from unique. I mean, a lot of Germany was controlled by different... Uh, Nobleman who had estates elsewhere. So yeah. uh, <laughs> even in France and England in the 15th yeah. century, well, probably less so in the 15th, more so in the 14th century, mm. a lot of nobles held estates um, in England and France and sometimes Scotland. Got, I suppose because we got to remember that the, the nation state as we understand it today didn't really exist, did it? Yeah. So, you know. It's, I think, you know, especially if you look at the the England-France example, you know, the, the nobles across those two countries probably saw themselves having more in common with each other than their supposed countrymen a lot of the time. Yes, yeah. and, I mean, you're, you're starting to see the rise of nation states around this time, but uh, um, it's still very early days. I think we can definitely say that the you know, Hung Hungary and the Balkans are the traditional mess <laughs> that that part of the world seems to have fallen into many times in history. And from a military point of view, of course, it's it's this start of the arrival of um, gunpowder weapons in um, making a, an impact on the battlefield. Yes, but both both the Hunyadis were extremely keen on firearm troops. I mean, uh, Janos hired a lot of Czech mercenaries, as did his son, but his son also integrated them into the Hungarian um, infantry contingents as um, part of the requirement for the, the call-up, as it were. And um, yes. I've got one question for you, Matt, which I'm not sure I've ever seen an adequate answer 
Why, why was the army called the Black Army? Yeah, that's a good question. Now, <laughs> no, no, no. I've, never, I've never seen an adequate answer for that. Yeah, the, the common um, uh, reason given is that they flew under a black banner because there's one held in, I, I can't remember the name of the, uh, the armory in Hungary that was one of the original banners flown by the army. But it turns out that that banner was actually orange and black and had oxidized over the years. So, so they don't think that's true. The other option, which seems to make much more sense, is there was a period where a lot of the armor was blackened, deliberately blackened, um, for no other reason than I think it probably looked impressive when you were marching down the street, so to speak, you know, over the hill and far away. And so they, that's a possibility. There was a third one. In, it was a mistranslation of an army commander's name. It was one of the original mercenary commanders, and uh, it, and it was written down wrong, and so it became black rather than I can't remember the, his name off the top of my head, but that was the third option. Um, so he takes your money and he takes your pick, really. Right. Um, I just I I'd have thought they'd have just gone with expensive army, quite frankly, which is probably what Matthias <laughs> called it because it, um, it it cost him a lot in taxes to keep it going. But, uh, Again, a theme throughout history, I feel. <laughs> yes, yes, quite. Well, uh, thank you, Matt, for that. That's uh, yeah, I must admit, it's, it's a, a period, it's an area of the world I don't know that much about, don't know that much of the history. That was really interesting. Don't know about you, Richard? Yeah, it's, it's a complicated period, that's for sure. <laughs> Um, the, the, others, um, the other story I heard about why it was called the Black Army was because the mercenaries weren't paid at one point and so sewed a black stripe onto their uniforms as a sign of mourning. Um, uh, I hadn't heard that one, but yeah, quite possibly. Um, th th there is, yeah, there is an example that Gisca's troops weren't paid for a while and they, they, they got a little... Um, grabby shall we say with the local populace yeah <laughs> i think that was common <laughs> most mercenaries in history were were quite grabby if they didn't get paid yes. <laughs> indeed okay shall we move on to some army lists then um and as i have come up with a black army hungarian i think maybe that's a good place to start following on from matt's history um I, I will say I, I, I did knock this one up quite quickly. It's it's an army list I've looked at a couple of times, and I've, I've, it's one of those army lists I find it really difficult to get an army I like because um, I've sort of thought of doing it a couple of times, but never have done. Um, so anyway, that, 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 that's that, that's a classic. Get your excuses in first as to why your list's a bit rubbish. Um, so uh, anyway, um, what I'll, I'll skip going through the the PDF uh, as we sometimes do because it's actually quite a long PDF, and just go through um, what I have chosen for this. But uh, needless to say, there, there are there are many options I haven't taken and. It's, it's, I think it's, it's, it's well worth a look at the army. It's, obviously, the history is interesting as Matt's has gone. And as I say, I think it's an army. It's definitely, I'm convinced there's a good army in there. I just haven't come up with it. Anyway, onwards and upwards. Um, 
in the, the army list I've chosen, as as always, of course, all these will be on the blog when the uh, podcast is published, so you'll be able to see what travesty I have come up with. Um, for commanders, I've they're all professional generals, three competent and a mediocre, um, possibly a tad undergeneraled, um, especially if you're trying to chase down the pesky Ottomans or or Albanians or something that, who are going to run around a lot. But, you know, as ever, points are limited. So there we are. And I ended up with a PBS of seven and a scouting of three, um, which is mm, OK, nothing special. OK, the army, I started off with the Royal Bandarium, your, your best cavalry. The uh, um, Technically, I suppose they are the, the, the king's troops, but, you know, we've heard the king probably wasn't leading the army that often. Um, anyway, these are cavalry formed loose, superior, armoured horse, fully armoured, charging lancer, melee expert. So that's quite a lot of points in there, 1,344 points for that unit. Uh, obviously, quite hard hitting, and the armoured horse means it's nicely protected against shooting, other than, of course, handguns or artillery. Um, a unit of nobles, which is made up of nobles and lesser nobles in 50-50, um, formed loose, superior, charging lancer, melee expert. Um, the nobles are fully armoured. The lesser nobles are protected. So, so, but they are all superior. Two units of the Zecklers. Cavalry are formed, flexible, average protected, experienced bow, short spear. So you've got uh, flexible, shooty cavalry, but they're protected, which is always nice. Uh, means they can stand up to other shooters reasonably well without the... Uh, problems that quite a lot of those flexible shooty cavalry have are being unprotected. Uh, an eight base unit of Armati, drilled close, average protected infantry, pole arm with integral shooters. Uh, another infantry unit, Clipiati, again eight bases, drilled close infantry, average protected, short spear, shield wall integral shooters. Um, a unit of archers, these are Junk archers just there as the uh, almost inevitable filler. Tribal loose, poor, unprotected, unskilled bow, combat shy. Uh, don't expect them to do a lot. Two units of war wagons, each of just two bases. Um, the formed loose battle wagons, average protected, experienced crossbow for one base, experienced light artillery for the other. And they've got polar, and that's it, two units of those. And I've got four units of skirmishers, six bases of handgunners, average protected, experienced firearm, combat shy, and three units of archers, um, unprotected, experienced bow, combat shy. All of these are sixes. Uh, two of them are average. One is poor. Again, needed, needed to save some points somewhere. So there you are. I do, I do worry that it might be a bit of one thing, a bit of the other, and not quite anything. But yeah, that's what I came up with. So, uh, Matt, Richard, had, does it ring your bell or is it a case of I'd like to face that because I think I can beat it? Um, I, yeah, I, I, I must admit I'm with you. I've never found a Black Army Hungarian that I'd fancy using. I'm not sure I'd fancy using this too much. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, uh, I'd, I'd be happy to take it on, I think. 
would be my conclusion. Uh, the war wagons, um, my experience of fighting small numbers of war wagons is that they're easily dealt with. Um, uh, un unlike when you get the massed war wagons of the Hussites, I think small numbers of war wagons are particularly tricky to take advantage of. Um, it, it, the list would allow basically twice as many war wagons as they've got there. You can have up to a eight. Um, not sure that counts as massed, though. No, I'd, I'd, um, yeah, war, war wagons are a tricky thing to to use. You've you've tried using them, Matt, haven't you? Yes, yes, I have. Um, I've I've tried them in my post. In the way Nick's got them in the small groups with the artillery, then they're, they're just long-range gunners, basically, to slow people down and be generally irritating, which I quite like as a as a function. But yes, you're right. If you're going to try and do anything offensive with them, I think you need 8 to 12 and, you know, make them the focal point of the army. Um, yeah, but they're cheap. Sorry, go on, Nick. I was going to say, yeah, to, to some degree, I'd see them as sort of mobile shooty terrain pieces to be honest in a way occupy some space somewhere maybe your opponent will overreact to them you know i think people sometimes overreact to the artillery part they they stay away because of the long because of the eight base range for the light artillery but you're only shooting being shot at by one white dice probably it's not that exciting and, and and people can avoid them because they think oh if i charge them i've got to take a cab test for charging artillery and that, yeah, that, that that does tend to worry people possibly more than it should. But, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, you know, on reflection, you know, and I I do wonder, you know, it, are the war wagons in this army a bit of a a, a bit of a mistake? Actually, you know, is it one of those those tricks the list plays on you? You think, oh, I've got to have them. You know, they, they were there historically. You know, Janos used them. Ooh. So you end up taking them, and there might be a better list without them. Mm. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, no, nor do I. I mean, I, I, I think that the the Amati and the Clipati give you enough infantry to probably protect the war wagons if you wanted to protect them. Um, but yeah, in terms of using that list, I'm also. It's a better list than I've ever managed to come up with for the Black Army, quite frankly. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's damning with faint praise or not, or just, you know, if Matt can't come up with a stupid list for it, then, well, you're doomed. But um, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I like, uh, yeah, it, it's got a really nice cavalry punch, which um, that, that Royal Band, Banderum is um, particularly um, lethal, but of course it's getting it in the right spot. Yeah. Don't and and then protecting its flanks. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. The, yeah. The, yes, it, it's obviously got the, the other nobles unit there. And to some degree, the Zecklers may be able to. Yeah, being protected with the short spear, they'll survive for a while, won't they? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, true. Dep depends what sort of threatening to get round the flank. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always a, always a problem when you've got an army with sort of just one killer unit. Yeah. Well, you know, although the the other nobles unit, they are superior charging lance and melee experts. You know, they're, they're not that bad. Yeah, I would say you've got two strike units in the cavalry. 
Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's still a challenge. I, I, well, maybe it's a struggle I find with that sort of army, but I find that I end up committing the punch and then find uh, I've done it in the wrong place or at the wrong time. And, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, it, also, it's said it's not that big an army. You know, it's it's no. it's it's nine tugs. Two of those tugs are the war wagon ones, which are only two bases each. Yeah, I mean, you've you've gone for four units of skirmishers. Um, yeah, well, it's been a bit of a theme recently, hasn't it, to go with skirmishes? Well, that yeah. Is, do you really need that many, given you've got the long range shooting as well? I don't know. No, possibly not. You know, it's, but I think it's maybe I couldn't say it was knocked up fairly quickly. Excuse, excuse, excuse. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there's more thinking could go into it. You know, it's. Hmm. I, I, I do. You know, maybe, maybe it explains why it had about a fifty-fifty record that uh, that the Matt was talking about in the history. <laughs> oh, fortunately, that 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 would have been. Actually, I don't know what the date's from for the Black Army. Yes, it's 42. Yes, you're quite right. Yes, it would technically be the Black Army. Although I think there's an argument that actually the 1440, up to 1444, you probably should use the medieval Hungarian list, the earlier one. Right, yeah. The, with, with, with a few regular troops thrown in on top. But um, yeah. yeah. Oh, the, the, the Meg list runs from 1442. Yeah. Maybe there's a slight tweak in there you could suggest to Richard for next year's I, list. I, I, I have, I, I have a, a list that I'm writing of possible tweaks to be done to most of the Eastern European <laughs> and Central <laughs> European stuff. I'll look forward to receiving it. All players out there who, 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 who are worried about this, please direct your hate mail to um, <laughs> Matt Haywood. <laughs> Uh, for, for, for once this is an area i know so little about i will not be contributing to the lists so it won't be my fault for once to, to be fair most of them are, are, are minor things like i i don't necessarily think that a handgunner should be compulsory in like uh allies if you take the black army as an ally i don't necessarily think the handgunners are logistically internal for an ally command that kind of thing but um, minor things yeah, yeah thing, things that you know keep me awake late at night and need to be <laughs> vented about <laughs> you wake up screaming in the middle of the night do you because there's six, yeah, that's right. all three bases of handgunners in the uh, in the in the black army list yes absolutely it stops me yeah. taking an extra unit of war wagons or something i suspect but uh, it's all <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no um uh, okay so so i think fair to say that the, this this army has has had a well, list anyway, had a bit of an underwhelming reaction, um, in which case I'll move swiftly on to uh, to let Richard's army um, and let, let's see what let's see what we can make of this. So I've gone for an Albanian principalities army, um, which is, is a bit of an odd, oddball army because there's uh, a lot of flexible um, skilled javelin in this army. So anyway, I've gone with a talented, instinctive army commander and three competent subs. Uh, gives me a PBS of seven and a scouting of six. So no shortage on the scouting front. And the reason for the high scouting is because I've got one, two, three, four, five 
six units of form flexible average unprotected skill javelin short spear melee expert cavalry um so uh, they they are quite um the uh, core of the army really um i have supported those with two units of four veteran cavalry who are form flexible superior protected experienced javelin short spear melee expert and shoot and charge um so uh, uh, they're they're um typically they're intended to be used close whereas the um, unprotected flexibles i would generally deploy uh in the skirmish order to um when I say close, I mean loose, but you you know what I meant. Um, yeah, whereas <laughs> the unprotected ones are in skirmish order, um, with the idea of perhaps uh, two of the skirmishers with one of the veteran cavalry there, just to ensure it doesn't get pushed back and bullied too badly. Um, but all with the intention of trying to avoid fighting until you have to. Um, along with that, I have a unit of mercenary men at arms who are cavalry drilled loose, average, uh, fully armoured men, unarmoured horses, charging lancer, and dismountable. Um, the dismountable is quite a valid option here um, because uh, you then got a unit of form loose, average two handed cut and crush, admittedly only a four, um, but. Uh, by dismounting, you avoid the impetuosity you get with the charging lancer. So you, and you've got the option there. Along with that, I've got two units of eight tribal loose average protected unskilled javelin short spear there to contest um, terrain, which if you're in a, a themed period around this period is an, an option you may need to engage with or else they can sort of hold that strategic um, steep hill or mountain, uh, um, make it difficult to push them off there. Um, and backed up, uh, unusually for me, I went with a couple of units of hide at the back generally. Uh, one unit of 10 levy, the tribal loose, poor, unprotected combat shy, uh, <laughs> at 11, 11 points each. Whoa. So a unit of 10 is 110. I, the only reason I went for 10 was because. It happened to make the army up to 10,000 points exactly. Oh. <laughs> so um, and then a unit of six archers who are tribal loose, poor, unprotected, experienced bow combat shy. Um, along with that, I get two units of six skirmishing archers to finish it off. So they're, they're there to um, snipe around, support the skirmishing cavalry or whatever nuisance they can get up to. Um, so that, that's the army. Definitely uh, a Richard sort of mad skirmishing with javelins type cavalry army um, where you really don't want to be throwing those ones or twos when you evade um, and you have to hope you get in some early powerful shots to weaken your opponent. Um, but I think I think it's quite a reasonable option. Um, I'd imagine it will give quite a few headaches to people facing it. Any thoughts, gentlemen? It's my kind of army, so you're not going to get any complaints from me on that front. Um, it, it's one I've looked at a lot that I've wanted to try. That 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 skilled javelin is just 
too nice to to, to to walk away from frankly and it's pretty much the kind of build i put on it as well um i might have gone down to 11 maybe to but i'm not sure what i spend the points on possibly a second talented instinctive general just to give me a bit more yeah two commands before 266 points for two units increases your break point um which is quite handy when the when you're trying to evade with skilled javelin um, shooters because inevitably at some point it's going to go wrong and you're going to get caught in the backside. Very true. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, the, the, the skilled shooters, they're great. You know, that one base difference, base width difference in range to bow can be quite a biggie. Um, I have to say, I think my... I, 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 I think you've got a lot going for it, Richard. One thing, I would really want those veteran cavalry in sixes. <laughs> you knew that was coming. I could see see the expression on your face there. I knew I, exactly that was coming. Yeah, um, it's, it's, I'd, I'd almost go as far as to say I'd drop the javelin man. Drop those two tribal loose, which gives you the points. And a few more, actually, you could probably play around with, but... You know, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's an option, but, um, uh, the army is the, the veteran cavalry aren't there to fight until right near the end, frankly. So that, that's my theory, but yeah, it's, it's a go with the sixes is a perfectly valid, reasonable option. It, just hope the terrain works out for you. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think it's, it's got some similarities with, the hun i used at um preston yep and that had the sort of two hun noble units which would be quite similar to that um obviously bow instead of javelin but you know superior protected experienced shooter short spear melee expert shoot and charge um found them in sixes were really really good um you know so i'd, I'd, I'd be very tempted to drop say drop the javelin man get those veteran cavalry up to sixes and you'd have some points left over possibly to add shoot and charge to the cavalry. I'm assuming that they can have it, but again, I just found it quite useful to have some of the the Huns with it, but it's it's not the end of the world if you don't. I think the important ones to have it are the nobles, the veterans in this case. Yeah, the Cav can have it and it's only six points each as well. So you might be able to get a couple of units up to yeah. shoot and charge as well. Mind you, there's always that. If you if you don't have everybody with shoot and charge, you can guarantee that the, <laughs> the, the ones with it won't be anywhere near where anything you want to charge. Yeah, yeah. been there, done that. Done that. <laughs> I, again, that was exactly the Huns I had. Everybody had shoot and charge. <laughs> I, I think I, with the... Um, what was it? Oh, no, it was um, when I was using the Typhran Dilution. I had six units of javelin cavalry and one horse archer cavalry. And of course, the one time I needed to shoot at range of three um, was the, the horse archer was never anywhere near. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Where it needed to be. Absolutely. You know, that's <laughs> guaranteed. Yeah. I think, you know, you said you said about terrain. I, I, I think with this, I'd, if there's terrain the cavalry can't operate in, I think you just live with it. To be honest, the cavalry, the flexible cavalry, can go through it fairly well. If it's only rough going, they're not even disadvantaged, are they? 
Yeah, it's 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 the rough terrain is only a problem if you're trying to evade back into it. In my experience, yeah, that's that's where your biggest risk is. Um, that's why if I'm playing against shooty cavalry armies, I tend to want to try and deploy rough terrain into their deployment area. Oh yeah, so and push them back. I can push them back into the terrain with a chance of catching them. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Yeah, just to come back to the, um, the the terrain the Albanians can have. Shame they can't have plains. <laughs> Co- Although coastal can be fairly open. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that's a huge disadvantage. But, no. uh, um, yeah, not too ma- not too much flat ground in Albania. <laughs> a little bit near the coast, but that's it. So. Yeah. Not really justified for planes. I'm afraid. Oh, uh, no, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be suggesting it. But no, I think you. So, if you defended, presumably you'd usually go coastal. I guess so. Yes. So, obviously, obviously can depend on the opposing army. So, so did did you say you've used this one, Matt, or just your sort of army? It, it's my sort of army. I I I fought against it. I think Dave Parish ran it one year at um, Roll Call. I think it may have been the first year that I played Meg, in fact. And it, it, it was one of those that stuck in my mind. Right. So, yeah, it, it's on my list of long list of to-dos. <laughs> <laughs> I'll eventually have all the Central and Eastern European armies raise them going, eventually. Yeah. Is it... Who who, who would do figures for this one? Is this... this... Um, Essex do some which are... Not bad, but they're limited in number and form. Yeah. To be honest, you could pretty much get away with any of the um, Akinji figures because a lot of them are deserted out of the Ottoman army. So there's a big mix. Uh, Serbian figures as well would do the same job. There's no... Where you see a a uniform nature to the Albanians tended to be when they um, moved over into Italy as mercenaries. When they fled out there, um, oh, was um, that the Stradios? The yeah, Stradios, and, that, and that's where a lot of the representation comes from. It's from Italian art, not from Albanian art. So we, within their own country, it's much more a broader mix. So, yeah, I, I'd be quite comfortable if you just mixed them all up from the same area. And no, well, I would hope nobody would say you know you've got that wrong because I don't think you could prove it one way or the other. But it, uh... so, would that be a case of? The javelin classification here is a bit of a averaging out of a whole load of weapons. You know, if you say some like Akinji types, some bowmen in there. Mind you, I suppose some of the Akinji types could be javelin men as well. Yeah, and and again, I think the javelin men is very much from from their Italian experiences. Um, it it, it was, um, I guess, given the train, it was probably a much more sensible option than the bow because you didn't need the, the the range and you were working in closer con- confines, but. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think you could quite comfortably mix it all up. A bit like the Lithuanians, where they have bows and spears. Yeah. Um, and, you know, depending on what period you're in, depends on whether they're classed as a horse archer or they're a, a spearman that didn't use his bow till he got off his horse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But there you yeah. go. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's worth, worth remembering with some of these, these troop types that, to some degree, the weapons are sort of averaging out, aren't they? They're... Uh, and to get the right effect. Well, they were they were certainly the closed type, uh, as in they were 
close on the enemy much more willingly than the Akinji or something along those lines. So I think I think the meg yeah, classification gives you that feel. That, that was the main rationale for if if they were classified as with bow, they'd be more uh, more likely to stay away. Whereas the javelin classification means they're more likely to get up close and personal, so to speak. Mm. Yeah, I think it works well, particularly with melee expert as the combination. It yeah, because I mean, really I mean, emphasises that. Yeah, they, they stand up better in the fight than if they were. Yeah, but bow, but no melee expert. So yeah, excellent. So uh, actually, well, that, that one seemed to get a better reception than mine did. Not that I'm taking it personally, <laughs> Richard. <laughs> hum. <laughs> so uh, so anyway. I'll do mine, and then I can slip to the bottom of the pile, and then you can you you you, you can go up a notch. Uh, <laughs> oh, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> okay, Matt, what have right. you got for us? I, I've gone with Serbian Empire. Um, again, I'm I'm, I'm not going to go through the list because pretty much I think I've probably taken just about every troop type you're allowed anyway. But um, <laughs> um, before I start, one thing I will say about the Serbian Empire of this period. Um, if you do it as George Brankovich, who was the the, the despot, despot, um, he died at the age of ninety in the same year as Hunyadi. So you know, uh, in, in in terms of long life, he did a pretty good job considering he spent most of his life fighting all his neighbours, and then allying with some of them and fighting others. But anyway, so what, what have I gone with? I've gone with um, three competent, instinctive generals uh, uh serbian generals so they're all they're all subs or or the army commander uh but i've taken an ottoman ally i'm not sure it works but i thought i'd give it a whirl who's competent professional uh that gives you a pbs of six scouting of four your train types are standard and mountain unfortunately camp um the list has to have a minimum of 12 archers now i've taken them as the upgraded version with shields so they're tribal loose average protected experienced bow two blocks of eight um and then there's um i meant to look up how this is pronounced i think it's pronounced Falastella, but don't quote me on that my serbian is worse than my polish um my <laughs> uh, serbian is is non-existent so i'm in no position to criticize i was going to say my serbian and polish are equally <laughs> yeah. Non-existent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't quantify how bad it was but yeah so, uh, yeah so so um uh, the, the the list allows you to combine um essentially what in western armies would be sergeants with uh, a front rank of knights so what you've got is the the best troops, which are cavalry formed loose, superior, uh, fully armored, charging lancer, dev charger, melee expert, basically the full fat version of a Western knight. Your second rank is formed loose, average protected, charging lancer, dev charger, melee expert. So unlike a lot of the Western lists, the second rank is actually exactly the same equipment, just lighter armor. So, um, so, so what I've ended up with is I've taken two blocks of six of these. So you've got front rank superior, back rank average, uh, with a really nice frontal crust. Um, the list also has a compulsory set of four in Western panoply. 
So they are cavalry formed loose, average, fully armored, charging loose, uh, charge, charging lancers, devastating charge at melee expert. Now they could have a second rank of lesser troops, but what I've decided to do here is I've taken a full block of six, so they're entirely fully armored but average. So you don't suffer that a really annoying, um, you know, you charge into a bowman and promptly get two whites in your face and you've lost a fully armored before you've even started. This, th these, these will obviously, you know, probably never ever make contact now that I've made it a block of six. <laughs> they're, they're just going to stand there and chase people around the table, but you know. Yeah. Go, go well, look at our lovely Western armor. Yes, yes, isn't it shiny? You know, exactly. But, um, and, and then you get to the, uh, the, the the Ottoman ally who is, uh, I've taken eight skilled bow janissaries who are drilled loose, superior protected, skilled bow. Um, the compulsory Sfahi, who are cavalry, form loose, average protected, experienced bow, short spear, block of six. Um, a couple of more Serbian units to finish off getting into nine tugs, which is the Valachians, which are cavalry, form flexible, average, unprotected, experienced bow. They're also called Tartars in the list, uh, so you can pick your name, but they do the same job, block of six of those. Uh, and then the, then the Hussars, or the Guzars, depending on how you want to pronounce it, who are cavalry, formed, flexible, average protected, charging lancer, block of six. Love them. Yes. They're, they're, yeah, yeah, I'm quite partial to them. Um, and then there's a couple of skirmishing units to round out the Ottoman contingent, which are the Akinji, which are cavalry skirmishers, average, unprotected, experienced bow. Cantabrian, did I get that right? You finally got it right, mate. Yes, yes, yes. That's it. I'm giving up now. I'm not talking anymore. Right? Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> uh, thank you. Right, combat shy. Block of six. Azab archers. Now this is this 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 is this is quite bizarre. This one. Uh, <laughs> Azab archers, which is uh, a regrade from what they normally are on the list, which is uh, loose archers. These become infantry skirmishers, poor, unprotected, unskilled bow, barricades, combat shy. <laughs> the normal list their average unprotected experience bow barricade okay. combat shy but i've just really downgraded basically they are a cheap block of nine barricades <laughs> so that, that is that is just so mad i know i know i can have 36 of them i think in the list but i resisted temptation if i ever did an ottoman army <laughs> got to stop myself doing that but <laughs> you so, so you'd start your deployment by putting 36 bases one wide one deep across, across the front of the table yeah because the skirmishers that can go in the flag sector they can indeed yes <laughs> oh no it, 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 yeah it is very me and i'm desperately trying not to make an ottoman army just so i can do that um, yeah. yeah anyway <laughs> so i'm now desperately looking at the rule book to see if there's anything to say barricades can't go in the flank sector <laughs> <laughs> there isn't i've looked you oh. might want to clarify it and say they can't. And I no, that, that, that's just so funny. We have to leave it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that seems perfectly fine to me. Yeah, no, I, I could live with it. That's <laughs> yeah. uh, genius, personally. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I will fess up for God's will, wills it, which we will discuss later. I am actually running an Ottoman Turk army. <laughs> so be warned if anybody's listening to this before the event there's the possibility there may be barricades <laughs> of some many or lots <clears throat> anyway 36. there you go there's a serbian empire list for you okay <laughs> but it's dominated by that last entry isn't it it is yes <laughs> okay richard over to you to 
provide something sensible while I just giggle in the corner. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm thinking through. Um, it, it, nothing wrong with the army. I'm not sure I would know how to use it. Is my honest opinion. Um, I can tell you what my thoughts are when I put it together. Yeah, go on. Run the barricades, assuming assuming you don't end up with coastal, or even if you did end up with coastal, you run the barricades, put the archers from the barricade out to two-thirds of the way into the table, and then you run your heavy cavalry on the outside flank with your skirmishing cavalry on the outside of that, and basically you pivot on the barricade, depending on who you're fighting. I'm not saying that works for everybody, but... so. You, you, for them to get to the archers, they're running the risk of getting a very big hammer of superior knights into their flank, which they've got to stop. Uh, so that was kind of where my thinking went with that. Of course, your other option is you put the barricades out with the uh, light infantry, you step the light infantry back, and then you walk two lots of tribal and your skilled janitories up to it, but nobody's ever going to go near those, so it's just a waste <laughs> of troops. <laughs> well, that's always my problem with barricades is... Um... Uh, anybody with any now will probably just ignore them mm. um, and figure out what needs to go. So my concern with barricades is always that they end up, you, you're in danger of ending up with a low scoring game, which in competition is not going to do you much favours. But... Um, but there's only the one unit with it. It's, it's, so. it's not, I mean, in this case, I mean, the points difference is so minimal. Um, it's not a huge problem, and it does give you that sort of security if you needed it. But, um, yeah, it's it's using the rest effectively together, the knights and the arch generaries and the archers and so on. Um, I, I, as I say, I... What have you got? You've got one flexible lancers, three units of other lance cavalry. So there's a good punch there, certainly, supported by the bow and the one unit of experienced bow cavalry. Hmm. Yeah. I'm not sure I'd like to fight it either, to be honest. <laughs> Ah, my, my job is done. It's, 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 don't know how to use it, but nobody wants to fight it either. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I, I'm, I'm round about the same situation as Richard, actually. I, I can't quite see how to use it. But equally, yeah, it's it's quite tough. Um, obviously, the, the genitories can really cause problems to people. Um, you know, in, in, in conjunction with... With, with those serve la stella um it, it, matt it reminds me of your korean army um i think it's more effective than your korean army where you had the um skilled bow foot you had in that case you had infantry with artillery mm. um so they weren't barricades but the same sort of flavour I'm getting the feeling? Probably. It, it, it's probably where my mind went when I was looking at the list. It, it, it's something, I, as I've played around with that style of army quite a bit this year, it's probably where, where I went. Um, 
Yeah, so the, the Korean list is actually allowed barricades for all its infantry, but they're just a little more expensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I have to say, I was pleased you included the Gazars. Gazars, Gazars, whatever. Um, I, I just love them. Form flexible, average protected charging lancer. You know, they've just got so much potential yeah. of being inserted, you know, use the... the Use a skirmisher movement speed to get them somewhere, and if if somebody takes their eye off the ball, they're on the flank, flipped into into tug formation, and the, and then the charging lancer, yeah, potentially into a, into a flank. You know that that alone could win you a game. I mean, I, I've had a bit of success with in in my Muslim type armies with the the Bedouin, form flexible unprotected long spear if being effective and, and indeed recently had it done to me by lee sanders who, who had a unit of those that I th it broke two or maybe three units of mine and that was only a four base unit <laughs> so that was wow. quite painful but i think you know they're potentially really devastating and, and they also have that really nice little quirk where if i start them as a sug in skirmish formation i can tug them with a single unit or a, it, it just gives you that extra flexibility where where you don't have to group move a unit of knights and and a second unit of lancers you can just yank it up if you need to so uh, yeah and and as you say that that green card to do a double move and end that double move by flipping back into a tug it's just uh... oh, oh yeah i mean it's the it's the old you know it's the it's, it, I know it's what Ray calls a, a, a ten base width charge. Yeah. If, you, if you if you can do that at the end of your move, the end of the move, the opponent's got the initiative. Sorry, is, is the active player. Sorry, so you're the active player next turn. That really can be horrible for them. And as I said, charging lancers doing it lovely, and it makes a lovely reserve. Put it in the table in the sub formation, and you know you can send it wherever it needs to go very quickly. Yeah. And, and again, protected, you know, if it, if it needs to just charge into something to delay something, mm. you know, it's got it's got two claims in the charge. It's not unprotected, so it, it hopefully won't be gunned down if it has to go near something that shoots six bases. You know, it's 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 not a rubbish unit by any stretch, even even in frontal. Yeah. You know, I think I think I think it could act quite nicely with the Wallachians. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, yeah. So yeah, it's um, yeah. No, I'll go with Richard's Richard's um, Richard's thinking here. Not sure how to use it. Don't want to face it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'll, I'll take that for a win. I think. Yeah. yeah so, so all good, right? Okay, we've got one more army list, which is another one from myself. This is. This is the one I, I started out by choosing before we decided we really, really ought to have a Black Army list in a, in a podcast that covered Janos and Yadi. Um, but for this one, I, I've, I've gone outside of the House of Osman list and gone for a medieval German and imperial one uh, because Matt mentioned that uh, Janos fought or fought with the Germans at some point. Uh, he, 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 um, he fought with Sigismund. And he fought against Albert and Frederick. 
that was it. There was a connection, so it was a, it was a legitimate yeah, army. I'm not. I'm not sure with the Frisian ally, it's a legitimate. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. You're giving something away. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I just couldn't resist. <laughs> now, it, okay, Richard has given away that I've gone for the medieval German with the Frisian ally. That would be a long, long way for the Frisians to walk. Uh, but um, it was part partly on the basis that I think I can actually field this. <laughs> Sort of. <laughs> so, so I was partly thinking, well, I might be able to use this at some point, should I ever want to for some bizarre reason. Anyway, the list is from the Holy Roman Empire PDF. As I said, all the other ones we've looked at tonight have been from House of Osman. Um, in the Imperial ver version of Medieval German, the Medieval German is just one list, of course, but it's got, got the odd thing in there that is only allowed to certain subsets in this case, the Imperial. Um, I've gone for a competent, instinctive army commander and two competent, instinctive sub-generals. Uh, aforementioned Frisian ally, I've gone for talented, instinctive. Uh, talented because I definitely want them to play. Don't think So poor, unfortified camp um, with the troops I've taken. I end up with a PBS of five and scouting for two. So again, it's, you know, it's not great. You're going to have to come up with a plan for being out scouted by things like the Albanians and 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 indeed the Serbians, <laughs> who are most likely to out scout you, but definitely the Albanians. So, uh, you know, I think, I think these armies where you're likely to be out scouted, always think ahead, have a plan. What's your sort of good, solid deployment that, that's not going to get you into trouble? Um, I end up with 11 tugs, so I have a break of six. Um, so we'll start with the Frisian ally, since it's been mentioned. Um, this is just three units, all their infantry, all are nine bases. Um, six bases of tribal loose, average protected, long spear, devastating charger, combat shy, and three units of the same, but unprotected. Um, the 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 Frisian spearmen at this stage have to be downgraded a third to a half, if I remember rightly. So basically I've gone with the third option. So basically you'll form them up two ranks of the protected and a back rank of the unprotected. Um, working on the basis by the time the unprotected are fighting, the unit's probably mostly gone anyway. The uh, Obviously the combat classification is strange, but interesting. Long spear, dev charger, combat shy. So three units of those, all of nine bases. The German part start off with a six base unit of best knights, formed loose, superior, fully armoured, charging lancer, devastating charger. A unit of knights, which are the same but average, but also come with dismountable. And they dismount as formed close, fully armoured foot, two-handed cut and crush. Um, optional out for the Imperials is a four base unit of Teutonic knights, Formed loose, superior, fully armoured, charging lancer, devastating charger, melee expert. And to be honest, I think that's the reason I've gone for Imperial. So I wanted the Teutonic Knights, and why wouldn't you? Um, and we move on to some infantry. An eight base unit of militia spearmen, formed close, average protected short spear shield wall. Militia crossbowmen, six bases, formed loose, average protected experienced crossbow, combat shy. Some mercenary spearmen, drilled close. Average protected long spear, eight bases. Mercenary crossbowmen, six bases of drilled loose, average protected, experienced crossbow, combat shy. 
And last tug, six bases of mounted crossbowmen, formed loose, average protected. These are cavalry, experienced crossbow. Two units of skirmishing archers, uh, infantry skirmisher, average unprotected, experienced bow, combat shy. Uh, now, this one, quite deliberately, I, I, do, I do think this army can benefits from having a couple of units of skirmishes, just to forestall Richard saying, why have you taken skirmishes in this army? <laughs> I hope he approves of that, but I think in the, the army, this one, a couple of units yeah. of skirmishes is quite useful. So you'd have got a, I think you probably want to have a good chunk of terrain on the table for those Frisians to operate in, tribal loose. That said, if they're in the open, the long spear means that charging cavalry against them would have things like the charging lancer cancelled they wouldn't get the claims for that so whilst they're probably not great in the open they're not complete completely dog meat and they can probably hold quite a lot of ground up so anyway there we are imperial german probably not one that janos would have fought or fought with because of the frisians but there we are comments chaps yeah, solid um, would be my reaction. It's uh, a German army I've seen in similar fashion. Um, the Frisians obviously are, uh, uh, give you the loose combat capability, although I have found that they aren't, uh, they don't survive tremendously well that, i'd be that, happy to fight to the last frisian <laughs> <laughs> once you get through those protected ones you tend to find the unprotected ones sort of, sort of start to die off quite quickly in my experience but yes they, and then then you are dying quickly <laughs> <laughs> they will do me unprotected combat shy is not great yeah um so um um but yeah, it's, it's it's a solid. You've got your solid chunk of knights. Um, you've got your spear and crossbowmen, which is what the Germans tend to have. So uh, yeah, not not appropriate for the south and uh, east of Germany, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, so not appropriate to the history we were talking of. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, it, it, I mean it's it's. In fact, the Germans, there's only, I think, a handful of examples, if that, of Germans actually allying, allying with Frisians. But uh, the problem is they did, and, and trying to restrict it to armies that only actually campaigned around Holland would be <laughs> a bit, <laughs> bit of a challenging for a list. Uh, whereas their usefulness in terms of a uh, competition means they tend to be chosen disproportionately but not never found a, any um, way of um, doing that why why what you've actually set me thinking is whether in the any imperial army ever allied with the frisian and that i'm not so sure about but uh, that'd be a fair point i, I think you would only lose the teutonic knights yeah that would be the only difference as and well. probably replace it with say another use of the ordinary knights yeah which again whilst not as effective in, in sheer punch would would be a couple of bases bigger so could be a bit of swings and roundabouts on that one um i think it's just worth, worth 
pointing out these German lists, the knights in the German list, I don't, very few of them are knights and sergeants, are they? They tend to be all knights, which is different from most of the rest of Western Europe, at least. Yeah, it, uh, that's supposed to represent the fact that um, you tend to get a lot more ministrales, are they called something like that? Oh yeah, I know the guys you mean. Um, so uh, it, it was a way of differentiating the fact that German um, armies, um, it's a bit artificial, but the whole feudal construct of the German armies was slightly different from other parts of Europe. Yeah, no, it's fair enough. Um, equally, they, they don't tend to have melee expert. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it makes them different, which is nice. Indeed. Or it may not be just justified historically, but it makes them different. <laughs> <laughs> Our yeah. lists are wonderful. Megaliths are great, remember. <laughs> Matt, your thoughts? Pretty much on the same line. Uh, sorry, just uh, the mercenary spearmen with long spear. They're slightly unusual, aren't they? Aren't they usually short spear shield wall types? I mean, for for the Germans uh, to go into long spear. Again, that's that's to represent that they were actually probably more effective. Ah, uh, okay. Capable of standing up to cavalry than the militia spearmen. Makes sense. I suppose they could also be low countries types. Yes, that's true. Is it Flanders? Were they traditionally the ones who were? Yeah, they they tended to. Uh, so the Low Countries tended to be where you had the longer spearmen, but uh, it, it's more. Uh, it's it's more to represent they're more capable. They're general better capable troops. You you're only allowed one unit, so so it goes on the army list really early on. <laughs> No, it, 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 it's a, as Richard said, it's a really solid list. And I mean, the, the Frisians are almost a no-brainer for that list, I have to say, though. It does kind of feel that, you know, they, they add the bulk and they're actually pretty damn effective, what, effective at what they do. They're very hard to kill quickly. Um, but Yeah, I think, it, I think if, they get it, if, they can get, if they can end up fighting in rough going as well, they're mm. probably at least as good possibly a bit better than a lot of other loose loose type troops and you get a lot of them cheap you know you're only talking what 450 under 500 points for nine bases cool yeah that is cheap i'm paying 350 points for nine barricades <laughs> <laughs> propped up by some azad Yes, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure who's propping who up, to be honest, given, given they're uh, poor and unskilled. It's not appropriate to this topic, but I've, I've just um, pulled together a Kingdom of the Isles list for um, uh, for a thing next weekend uh, and managed to have, the, uh, I think it was 11 tugs of nine bases. In the <laughs> It takes a while to hack your way through them. <clears throat> well, it is a round where you don't roll a lot, and you're looking. There's still thousands of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I managed to do that with the Bantu tribes at Footsloggers. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> we'll come on to that shortly. Yeah. So, so I'm getting the impression that yeah, we, we, solid is the word that's being used. I'm, I'm not setting the world alight with this list, but 
it's not a daft one. Absolutely not. I mean, it's got the Frisians, which I I I, I play it just for those, quite frankly. <laughs> yeah, I, I I'm never a huge fan of making the crossbowmen combat shy. Um, I I like my crossbowmen able to fight because what with the S causing wounds on the impact and so on, I actually find they're they're better that way. But that's that's a personal preference thing, and obviously combat shy there are substantially cheaper so it it makes quite a lot of points you take your choice you, you do no I, I i agree with that i i quite like you so your average protected experienced crossbowman not combat shy didn't quite work with this list yep. uh, so you just have to be a little bit more careful with them um but yeah you know it's uh, you, know, you could say lose one of the skirmishes and you'd get at least one of those units up to not combat shy perhaps the well could choose either of them pays you money takes your choice on that the drilled ones have the advantage they're more maneuverable so you might be able to extract them if they get into trouble um so make the militia ones not combat shy you know i think it's a very valid point that one so you know it's uh you know uh, that plus when people charge you is really, really useful and can really make a massive difference. Because well, you're going from, if you're on white dice, you're going from two wounds to three wounds on the dice. Yeah. You know, so that's a big jump, you know, get a lucky dice roll. Well, hey, <laughs> you, can, you can really ruin somebody's day. Anyway, I th- I, we've probably got through enough of that. The last thing on these lists, I was wondering how we would rank them in cho- in terms of which one we would choose to do. I think my impression is the uh, Black Army list I came up with sits at the bottom of the list <laughs> for all of us. Yes. The one we were <laughs> least desiring to use. Um, out of the other three, I'm, I'm rather suspecting either Richards or Matt's are going to be the uh, the top choice. Well, I'd go with the Albanian. I, I, I think that has the most flexibility, literally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ho, 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 ho. I'm here all week. Yeah. Um, but for terms of a competition army, I'd definitely go with that one, I think. Okay. It would be my preference as well. Um, I think I would probably go with that as well. I think I'd put Matt's as second and just for the... I want to work out how to use it. <laughs> I, th- I think the German one I've come up with, it's it's solid and obvious. The, the almost the almost the challenge of Matt's list <laughs> would make it my second choice. <laughs> although although I suspect the German might just be well, it'd be probably easier to use and might just end yeah. up being more effective. I suspect I'd pick the German just because I'm not sure <laughs> how I use Matt's list. <laughs> We could we we could make those a tie. <laughs> yeah, I'd run the Serbian to see if it would work, and and I I, I like top heavy knights, quite frankly. <laughs> so, you know, uh, combine okay. that with Janus reason. Uh, yeah. Okie dokie. Right. I think I think I think we've we've we, I think we've done those to death now. So uh, this is, this competitions have been mentioned. We Richard just mentioned. He used Bantu Kingdoms at Foot Sloggers a few weeks ago. Um, obviously, we finished the last 
podcast by talking briefly about foot sloggers. So I don't know, perhaps just some thoughts on how it went. Obviously, Matt, sorry, you, you of course, you weren't there, unfortunately, but... Yes, I couldn't get leave from work for that one. Yeah, I know that you've seen, seen the list that went in, but I just, you know, I suppose, Richard, how do you think it went? Because I think ultimately it was your 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 suggestion. Uh, I, yeah, as, as I ended up organising it, <laughs> and, and the theme was my original suggestion, uh, yeah, I, I was very pleased. I thought we had a cracking range of armies, um, everything from uh, Canary... Inca, Hawaiian, um, and Mapuche in South America through to a couple of late Swiss Free Company, Hundred Years War English medieval armies, through to Ikoiki. Um, we had Chin in the Far East. Uh, we had Thracian, Roman, uh, Paeonian. Um, yeah, Richard uh, Basilowski took Paeonian. Yeah. Uh, and early Frank, I think, in the Western yep. Europe, an Anglo-Danish and uh, was it Viking? Something like that. So it was a good range of armies. Um, and I noticed you missed mine out. Uh, oh, yes, an Arab <laughs> conquest. <laughs> Thank you. You might mention that one. <laughs> early Arab conquest in this case. Um, yeah, yeah I... early Arab conquest. Um Yes, which chomped chomp through um, my uh, uh, Bantu tribes that I bought not, as a spare. Not without some hairy moments along the way, it must be said, Richard. Oh, yeah, there were, that, I, I think you know, I think all the games I had could have gone either way. I mean, there's lots of infantry hacking at each other. Yes, indeed. So, yeah. but yeah, the the. Um, it, proved to have a wider variety of tactical challenges than perhaps some people had expected so and, and i think everybody enjoyed it so um, yeah, that's hopefully, the hopefully as a theme it might be run again at some point in the future yeah no uh, i mean i i, I enjoyed it it was good good fun it was as you say it was it was different um i still have this this vague thought that Maybe those sort of competitions could be run as one day, three game, maybe at about 8K points. Possibly, or, yes. Or that just as an option. I don't, I don't know. I'm not, not suggesting it's a better way of doing it, but it's another way of doing it. Yeah, indeed. You know, so it just, just because they are a bit different and some people might be a bit put off. But then again, we've got lots of competitions in the calendar, so... Yeah, I, I, I don't know if you had any thoughts about the army choices that were made, Matt. I don't know how, how much attention you paid to it. I, I, I paid quite, I have to say, that was my one disappointment of the, the competition was there was not enough online photos as it was going through. The, you know, the, the draws didn't go up uh, as often, you know, so you weren't quite, I would have followed it quite religiously. It's one of it because um, the lists when they were published were really interesting. And I, I, yeah. I have to say, I did not expect Simon to win with the one he took. This is Ico Ico or whatever it was. This, this, um, Ico Iki, yeah. Ico yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I expected him to do well because it's Simon, but yeah, to actually to, to win it with what, frankly, is suboptimal, should we say? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure any of the armies would be considered entirely optimal. <laughs> 
<laughs> in what, normal true. circumstances. Yeah, that's very true. Um, yeah, a, I think we, 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 we can't pass up talking about foot sloggers without asking Richard what it was like to play two games of Meg simultaneously because we were we were uneven on the first day. So that in the for those who don't know, for the first game, Richard played two games. He his Bantu Kingdoms faced off against my early Arab conquest. And is it your Inca? My Inca against Will's Canary. Yes. So so oh. playing Two yeah. tables side by side. Um, oh, anyway, over to you, Richard. Tell us what it was like, because I think I just think you were insane. Uh, yeah, oh, I don't plan to do that again. Let's put it like that. It was a bit brain numbing. Um, the uh, the Bantu tribes is actually easy to deploy and play um, because, quite frankly, you line it up and you go a charge ahead. And it's only when your opponent does sneaky things like keeps one of their flanks back that you actually have to stop thinking about things, which is most rotten of him. Um, <laughs> my, uh, my army wasn't as wide as yours. I had to. Yeah. The, the canary um, just gave me all sorts of problems, but um, from a tactical point of view. Um, but yeah, no, it was. It, it, I mean, I mean, I. I Having odd numbers and buys is so horrible in a competition. Yeah. Um, but I um, I thought it would be the better option. Um, it was noticeable that my results improved <laughs> on the following day when I wasn't playing two, um, two armies at once. So, I enjoyed it. I, I think I gave my opponents reasonable games. I, I, as I said, you, you know, I, I would not have been surprised to have lost the game against the Bantu Kingdoms. At one point, I thought I was well on the way, and then I, I think I just had one round where I, I rolled a lot of good combat dice, which sort of got me back in it. So, but I mean, it has to be for, for the listener. At one point, Richard was basically fighting on something close to eight foot frontage between myself and Will. <laughs> So, yeah. <laughs> you know, so almost a case of sort of forty files worth of fighting in one, uh, of sort of going from left to right first <laughs> on one battle and then on the second battle. Yeah. So uh, did, did 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 any shatters and shove carry across to the other table, or did you actually count those? <laughs> <laughs> I think there was a small gap, so we didn't have that conversation. But yeah, you know, obviously, you know, Will and I could have a bit of downtime whilst Richard was playing on the other. But Richard was just cycling around. So you know, thank you very much for that, Richard, because as you say, odd numbers and people having having to take a buy is, is never a good thing. You know, obviously, it's not always avoidable, but um, maybe not having somebody play two games at the same time. <laughs> it's it would. It's possible under some game systems, but you're all one of the th one of the things I like about Meg is that you're always involved in the game. There are always things happening because of the interleave and movement and decisions to make. Other games, you know, where one player might move all their troops and then the other moves all theirs, you can virtually walk away. It would be much easier, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But Meg, it's just no that that was that was that was monumental. So yeah, and in the end, as as already mentioned, Simon Simon Hall won with his Ikoiki. Is a Japanese fanatic monk 
loopy nutters types with how many fanatics has it got four five six something and then a lot of absolute dross uh yeah um I, uh, so, so obviously i've got to try and weaken that army somehow <laughs> 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 I think what what was distinctly worrying is that Simon Simon's somewhat unwell at the moment and, and was playing it while really quite under the weather, and he still beat us all. <laughs> That's scary. So, so, so maybe not nobbling the army. Yes, yeah, maybe we should nobble the author. Well, yeah. well, he was clearly nobbled, and he still won with it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're just going to have to give up, aren't we? <laughs> So anyway, that that was foot sloggers. So I think we, you know, I think I, I think you're right. Everybody enjoyed it. It was different. It's nice to have something different in the calendar. But now we're looking on, looking forward to about three weeks' time with the next one, which is also hosted by Battlefield Hobbies. Um, God wills it, a Crusades-ish theme, um, not just the Crusades of Ultramar, also including. Um, some Eastern European types. Yeah, so I think at least one or maybe two of the armies we've looked at today are eligible for that. Um, but uh, yeah. Yeah, and also the armies of Reconquista. In, indeed, that, that's quite an interesting addition. Oh, adds just a, a, a nice twist on the Crusader theme. So. Uh, yeah, what are we expecting from this, chaps? Uh, to die horribly. <laughs> <laughs> Same, actually. To be honest, yeah, I, I'm, I'm ex- so, so Matt, you 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 said you're taking Ottomans. Yes, yes, I'm I'm, yeah. I'm 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 taking a slightly suboptimal Ottoman. As a, there are limits to what you can do with the list because of the allied uh, restrictions, but um, yeah, um, I, I've I've decided to take Lusignan Cypriot. So I'm, I'm going with Crusaders, sort of. Uh, yeah, I've, you, I've you don't. You don't have to declare, Richard. It's, I've it's got a Christian army in Spain. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it vague. <laughs> so, as mentioned, Reconquista. So, uh, yeah, no, I think it'd be interesting to see what variety of armies are taken. Yeah, you know, well, states the obvious, doesn't it? We're always interested in seeing what variety of armies yeah. are taken. <laughs> But you know, given this this slight slight different twist on uh, on the Crusader theme, and I think I would like to mention because I'm list checking that, <laughs> <laughs> assuming this this podcast is published before the list due date, the lists are due in by Friday the 10th of June, folks. So if you if you're entered, <laughs> please get me your lists for list checking. And I think there are for those who haven't entered but might be interested. I think there's a couple of places still available, so feel free to get your entries in. And I do know that various people have said that uh, they're willing to lend armies. So even if you haven't got an army, um, one can probably be made available to you. I, I'm certainly offering most of my Eastern European armies that are in um, uh, the Teutonic Order list. I've forgotten the name of the damn um, PDF. Sealand. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, you know, I'm I'm taking what is basically a Crusader army. So my Muslim army collection is available for loaning as well. 
Yeah, I, I, I rejected um, when I was drafting up my possible lists. I tried a medieval Norwegian, uh, but I rejected that as being daft. But was <laughs> <laughs> daft enough to borrow it. <laughs> They'd be welcome. Perhaps there's a challenge for somebody who either hasn't submitted their list yet or wishes to enter medieval Norwegian. <laughs> So there's a uh, parrot um, joke in there somewhere. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> well, I think I think there were Yom's Vikings. So uh... well, no, Norwegians certainly took part in some of the early Crusades. Yeah, there was a Crus uh, Sigurd's Crusade, was it? He yeah, the, the, uh, yeah, I think that's, it, that's the Yom's Vikings. They, oh, they, right. they sailed down from Norway. Um, I mean, famously, they they ambushed a Arab ship off Spain, somewhere, I think off Gibraltar somewhere, um, thought they'd stripped it of all its valuables, set light to it, and then saw gold melting <laughs> wreck. A bit of an oversight. At that point. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure they were, well, well and truly. <laughs> so... Anyway, so that's the next competition. So I think at that point we've probably used up our time. So as ever, thank you very much to Richard and Matt. Matt especially for the history. Um, definitely learnt something tonight. You usually do on these podcasts. It's really good. I hope you, the listener, has as well. Um, please have a look at the lists we put up. Um, if only just have a laugh at them and, and see just how my lists are compared to the far more interesting ones produced by Matt and Richard and hopefully we'll uh, be back again soon so uh, thank you and good night, good night. thank you all <laughs>